You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 35 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Not good, Brendan. No, I'm not good. No, I'm fine. That's I just wanted to, I just wanted to change it up because I always say that I'm good. How are you? So bit of a bit of a swap. No, I'm I'm still good. <laughs> You're still good. That's weird. I think that you know your answer has been the exact same for 35 weeks in a row now. <laughs> I had one off week, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I'm okay. better now. Yeah. Well, anyway, so this week we're gonna be talking about the role of equipment. Flesh and blood. No fancy intro today because we are talking about a core topic, right? This is something that's going to go in Arsenal Pass's um, sort of Rolodex, right? This is one of our core episodes. You can come back to. We'll try to future-proof it as much as possible. But equipment is a really interesting part of Flesh and Blood, right? We have a persistent board state, something that is not very common. You know, until Mechanologist came out, it was almost completely uncommon, right? You had the potions. That was about it. And so I think equipment has just changed flesh and blood and will continue to do so as some of the most impactful cards in the game. But anyway, like I said, we weren't going to have an introduction on <laughs> does it anyway. and then introed it. Hey, let's talk about this week in flesh and blood or I almost forgot. How was your week in flesh and blood, sir? <laughs> yeah, I've had a good week. Um, I haven't been last three weeks been pretty chaotic just with work and, and life. So I haven't been getting to armories. Usually I try and get to an armory a week, but I have managed to, Get to some drafts so australian nationals is happening end of january which is fantastic uh, it's going to be tales of aria draft plus class constructed so i've had the opportunity to get some drafts which has been good practice uh, because just through you know lockdown etc i haven't actually been able to draft that much um at all i think i've done maybe less than half a dozen drafts before sort of two or three weeks ago so yeah in the past few weeks done another half a dozen drafts and it's been been nice i really draft is is probably my favorite format i think it and in fact it definitely is and um, I do like the Tales of Aria draft format. It's not, you know, it's probably Welcome to Wraith and then Tales of Aria being the two draft formats I've enjoyed the most. So there's a lot of depth to it. I've uh, been trying a few different strategies and things like that. And yeah, just just been enjoying it. How about yourself? How's your week in Flesh and Blood? Um, It was like the first week I have taken off, I think, since we started Arsenal Pass. <laughs> I didn't take off the entire week. I took off like five days and it was a bit out of my power unfortunately but yeah i actually haven't been playing flesh and blood this morning was like the first morning i played in um yeah a long time it seems like but it's all good you know you kind of jump right back into it luckily it's off season so i didn't sacrifice too much but it's weird it's weird not to be playing aiden <laughs> hey it might be off season for you some of us still have a national championship to look forward to win yeah yeah <laughs> but anyway We've got some news on OP, so should we jump into the? Should we jump into some news? Yeah, and I feel like somebody was rubbing their crystal ball and predicted this because I think we've been calling this for months on this on this show. Yeah. So first item, we talked about this last week. I think we talked about it the week before as well. Um, ProQuest season one is now. Well, actually, it hasn't officially been announced, but we know that we're getting ProQuest Quest season one because. Uh, stores have been sent uh, a fact sheet and stores have already started scheduling their events and and some stores have started putting it up so we do know that ProQuest season one is going to be happening from 19th of february till 13th of march so pretty tight window uh you know four weeks basically of, of ProQuest. and these are going to be allotting uh, the winner uh, uh, invite a pti to 
Pro Tour number one. So these Pro Quests are only going to give you a PTI that's uh, usable for first Pro Tour, so you can't stack these ones. Um, and unlike other previous PTIs that people get through, you know, calling top eights, um, nationals, Pro Quest side events at callings, it's for a specific Pro Tour. So, and we, we did talk about this, I think a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, the community, when we were on the community um, hot seat pod, that we felt like this was going to happen, that these were going to be specific Pro Quest PTI invites for Pro Tours. So feeder, basically feeder events, right, that we're getting. Um, so we now have confirmed dates and I think pretty cool just looking around like the fact sheet and what's happening. Um, there's some really good, you know, like prize support. So you have, uh, you have seven cold foil adult heroes. Uh, plus a one random drop gold cold foil equipment or weapon. So weapon, interestingly. Weapon. Yeah, yeah weapon. <laughs> what what was that? <laughs> yeah. So that what does that say? That either says we're getting legendary weapons in Everfest, or like the, I mean that's that's probably what it is. Let's be real. That's probably what it is. Um but more exciting in my opinion was like a, a gold cold foil like dawn blade or something that would be really cool but i feel like it's uh just everfest stuff well so these are i think the big thing to note is that the proquest events are callings which is so far where you know outside of callings we've had so sorry callings we've had gold foils right nationals and um winner of the proquest gets was getting a, a skull cap for the season a gold foil skull cap yeah it could very well be that we're going to see a change <clears throat> with this proquest feeder system uh, coming up that we see that these random golf oil drops are, are something different. So do they need to be legendaries? Don't know. Could they be Majestics, for instance? Uh, who, I who hope knows? so. That would be dope, right? Yeah. I yeah. hope so. That would also stop diluting the supply that exists in the world. <laughs> exactly. Because if, if you're thinking, okay, one random drop cold foil, uh, gold cold foil equipment. And uh, I've heard that in some countries, even as, you know, New Zealand, obviously it's a it's a big piece of the flesh and blood world, but I've heard that they have seven pro quests, apparently. Uh, that was just something that I heard. I know in Australia there's at least a few. Um, so you can pretty sizably, I don't know about Europe or the US, but I imagine there's going to be quite a few. Uh, you're going to start to, like as Brendan says, you know, there's going to be pumping a lot of uh, these golf foils. And so I think to maintain that, I guess that premium aspect of these ones that have come before us with the Welcome to Wraith legendary equipment, the Arcane legendary equipment, and of course Monarch, um, and I don't, have we seen Tales of Aria gold foils yet? I don't, I don't think so. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I don't think so. Either. Yeah. But, I haven't personally seen one. <laughs> yeah. So like, what does that mean? You know? So could we see like some Crucible Majestic? Could we see a gold foil Skeleta, um, or like a Dawnblade two points? So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what that is. Also, so the winner's going to get that, then seven cold foil adult heroes. Um, each kit will contain one of each from Monarch and Tales of Aria. So the last two sets, there'll be cold foil adult heroes for, you know, seventh, uh, sorry, eighth through to second. There's also two um, ProQuest playmats. I think those are meant to be maybe given out randomly. And then there's two People's Champion playmats, which um, uh, I think go to the, the finalists. Or, or the other way around, sorry. So there's there's two playmats for the finalists, and then there's two playmats mm. uh, for the event. So, Random. Yep, and there's also six Warchun Herald Extended Art Rainbow Foil Judge promos for judges. So there's, uh, there's you know, there's kits for judges as well, which I think is um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, it's something, right? We expected this. I did not expect gold, so that's interesting. Um, I really hope. So if I can, if I have one, if I can just put on my, you know, my cynical socks for a second. Go on, Brennan. Say, yeah, one thing that I hope is, please don't have these events be very small and limiting, because um, there is a lot of EV on the line, and I don't play for EV. I know that. You know, I like to win events, but I, I really do. I really just play because I like the competitive aspect of it and I like to play competitive events. 
But if we get into a situation where these events are small um, and people can make them small and there's such a high EV on it with these gold foils, that's going to be a bit unpleasant. So I really hope that these things are more open and everybody can participate and we can all play the game. And uh, yeah, I hate to put that out there, but you know, with how we've seen the North American flesh and blood scene kind of grow and experience its growing pains, this has been one of the biggest ones for me. And I really hope that when we have Pro Tour invites on the line, gold foils on the line, it's not going to be a factor. I really want everybody that wants to play to be able to play. Obviously, logistically impossible sometimes when you have a demand of 500 for a 60-player event. But I don't want to see stores that have the capability to host more players be going down to 16 or 8 or something just so that they can kind of keep the PTI and the gold foil internal. I really don't want to see that, but I'm really excited outside of that. I just want to play more events, you know, back to roads and that seasons, grind it again, new city or new town, like every weekend. That's fun. So I'm, I'm hoping we get some closer to road to Nats, even more accessible than road to Nats. Um, and yeah, it's exciting. Everfest. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so on that, I guess it's, it's a bit, it's a few things, right? The LSS have said, you know, that, um, they are not, you know, there's no cap in terms of it's going to be down to, I guess, each individual host or TO of these events. Um, even in the fact sheet, they say, you know, like you are welcome to, obviously, you know, grab an external, uh, external hire of an event venue if, if need be, or you want to, to depending on your players that you expect to have. Um, so I, but I do, I agree, right? Like it comes down to what the stores do at the end. And I think LSS need to work with stores to make sure that, you know, it's the best environment for players because um, there's also like on the flip side of that you you don't want to be cramming 64 players into a really tight space for instance so there's like yeah. a there's a middle ground to hit and also a responsibility of like lss and stores to to find that best middle ground for players i think and at the end of the day stores want to make money and, and run a business um so i think they're encouraged to have larger events but you know it just <laughs> it just depends so yeah no i'm i'm really excited i think it's awesome that we're gonna you know this is just around the corner in the new year starting as we say in february um, so it's like literally with the release of uh, Everfest and the format is classic constructed. So all of these will be classic constructed. So we're going to get Everfest and then what, two weeks later, we're playing uh, we're playing a new classic constructed format. So that's really exciting that um, this ProQuest season, you know, basically kicks off the Everfest season. And then we, uh, you know, assume that we'll go into Pro Tour number one, possibly after the release of the first, you know, base set, the first, um, you know, like set of, of the new year. That's not a supplemental set. Um, which will be interesting so yeah it looks like we're getting some some announcements and we're getting some pathways for that uh qualification process so yeah excited to excited to play some and if it's just around the corner yeah we, you know we we had a bit of an off season but we're just gonna be right back into it i wonder if there's gonna be a point in flesh and blood whether it's next year in 2022 or in 2023 when there just like literally is no off season obviously by that time you know players will be kind of curating the events that they go to, you know, you don't have to go to every single road to Nats or every single mm. pro quest, but, um, you know, right now it's like, bam, we're just hitting the ground running all the time. It seems like, so, um, it's exciting. A lot of stuff going on. I know in other games, like if you were like a, you know, quote unquote, like a grinder, right. <clears throat> you often didn't have a down downtime in the year. Maybe, maybe this time, December, November, January, maybe, but it tended to be that you'd run seasons into seasons. You could sometimes have like, you know, pro quest style events or road to national styles events, uh, you know, one at the end of a month and then all of a sudden the next season is kicking off three weeks later two weeks later so it just depends on set releases depends on how LSS are going to do it but obviously if the callings as well and they don't need to necessarily run synchronously with seasons for instance like you could do uh, like a limited one um you know when a set releases before a constructed season starts or you could still be doing one at the end of a season etc etc so i think it's going to come down to 
how LSS want to uh, structure the the pro tours uh, worlds, but then also what they want to do with their calling season, what they want to do. You've still got skirmishes as well, right? So you're still going to always have, I guess, events for stores to be running and things happening. Um, but they also, I think they need to be careful of burnout, right? They need to be able to space those out. They don't want to uh, inundate stores and overload them um, to the point where, you know, they're running so many events that they start to get, I guess, diminishing returning of players for these events um, through burnout and things like that. So yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, we had three skirmish seasons this year. Do we get another three this, next year or is it just two because we have other things happening or um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what, what it kind of looks like, but it's coming around pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and the, for those of us that still have a nationals to prepare for in the meantime, uh, kind of runs from a national straight into Everfest and then into this ProQuest season one. Yeah, well, speaking of Skirmish Skirmish in season three, wrapped up this past week and shout out to all the people who tagged Hayden on Twitter and played the patented, innovative, groundbreaking <laughs> Briar List. <laughs> so innovative. <laughs> so innovative. Um, so you played a bit of at a bit of Skirmish season three. How was it, Hayden? Yeah, I did. Mainly because of draft, right? Like I was really keen to play these draft skirmishes and... I think they're just a lot more accessible now. Uh, more stores are hosting skirmishes. The, I guess the window is, it felt a bit tighter, but maybe it's not just because there's more happening. Um, I felt like I had the ability to go and play a couple. So I played two blitz skirmishes and a draft skirmish. Yeah, that's right. I would have loved to have played another draft one, but there was only one available to me locally. Um, but yeah, it was, it felt more like what it should. So season one and season two, I think felt very competitive. Uh, because that was the only competitive events that were around. Also, most of those were run online. Uh, season one, I actually so season one, I actually traveled to some because it was the only events we'd had in about 14, 15 months for Flesh and Blood um, within Australia. So I actually traveled to two, three, three um, skirmishes in season one. And that was an awesome experience to meet a lot of the local communities, um, Flesh and Blood communities in, in Australia. So I went you know across the country a couple of times. Uh, and then obviously season three, it's a bit different, right? Just come back from... Orlando at the calling um, and there's a lot more of my local stores running these so just got to go and just like a you know almost like an armory like an armory plus like the next stage up from an armory which is what skirmish should be um, it felt really sociable it felt uh, like the environment's really cool to play in the in the I guess the inception of the draft skirmish I thought was quite cool unfortunately I think the store that had the draft skirmish here in Sydney where I live didn't maybe advertise the event or there was some kind of miscommunication about how they were going to run the event so that the turnout was quite low uh, which which did kind of suck um i'd love to see those you know around like 16 to 32 players so that you get multiple pods and you kind of draft through um but no otherwise i had like a, a really good time i think the blitz format is an interesting spot right now um i think we might get some changes coming with the band uh and i guess the band announcement coming in the i think it's the 14th of december um so just just in a few days uh because i don't know dust blade felt like it kind of dominated this uh this blitz season interesting yeah yeah i didn't get to play blitz this season so I'll, i'm interested to see the band announcement yeah. so i still I had fun by the way i still had a lot of fun mm -hmm. like i played i played kano i played briar um yeah confirmed hayden hated blitz yeah okay <laughs> i actually enjoyed it which is i haven't always enjoyed blitz um, i think kano was kind of my revival of enjoying blitz and then also just playing into the season was, yeah, it was good. Mm -hmm. Did want to call out as well. Uh, we have a gameplay that's gone up for this week. It's Bravo versus Viscerai. Guardian is back. Uh, it's not old time this time. It is, it is Bravo. Bit of a quicker game than last week's one. And a very interesting ending, actually. So I do recommend going and checking that out up on the Arsenal Pass yeah. YouTube. And you can watch me pull a, a cat out of the hat on Hayden. A cat out of the hat? I think it's a rabbit. Isn't that the same? It's a monkey out of the box. <laughs> and last yeah, night, that was a crazy game. That was wild. That was pretty wild. I was 
it definitely looked like I was uh, not doing well there for a while. I don't think you were. Uh, <laughs> last thing I want to call out as well before I part, hand it over to my uh, my co-host here is that we are, and I just talked about this last week, we're at the end of the year. Uh, it's been a, a big year for Arsenal Pass, obviously our first year. Um, it's been a wild sort of ride. Thank you to everyone who supported us and, and continue to support us, whether that be through listening to our pods, uh, our patrons, of course, um, and everyone who you know just sends us messages and, and questions and interacts with us. We, we love it and we appreciate it. As we head into 2022, we are looking about what our sort of content schedule looks like, and we're still, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So if you're on YouTube, uh, drop in comments or tweet at us, send us an email, whatever you want to do, any ideas or things that you'd love to see from us in, in 2022, because we're all ears to making sure that the content that we put out is the content that you want to see in here. Yeah, I just love how the next few points here on our new section are just you making me do all the shilling. It's of like course. I see my name, Brendan, and it's like... <laughs> it's just layers. But mentioning YouTube, we are getting close to 3,000 subscribers. Um, it's a big goal for us. If we can hit that in the year, that'd be amazing. So if you listen to our podcast, watch our YouTubes, or enjoy our content in any sort of medium, medium if you can choose a subscription on YouTube, um, we'd greatly appreciate that. Also, our podcast, um, that is kind of our bread and butter. And I think that we have to move you know, move in the direction of SEO. So if you listen to our podcasts on services such as Apple and you would, you know, you like it, if you could write us a review, that'd be awesome as well. Uh, we haven't really pushed for that before, but I'm sure it's really important. So shoot us a review and we will greatly appreciate it. So last week's time of the round was Jake Jason Pokerface Long, the man who walks to every single calling in shorts and sandals and just top eights. He's a top eight <laughs> machine and you can get, he has some really good thoughts actually on what to expect in Everfest and um it's actually something i thought about so go check it out really interesting guy really cool guy and amazing player as well finally a shout out to all of the arsenal past patrons almost three oh over 300 of you now and the um the support has been incredible really we can't put it into words so thank you so much um, if you are interested the arsenal past patreon does have tons of extra content including an extra pod each month a live session as well as if we do a deck tech on the arsenal past channel often there will be a entire sideboard guide added onto the patreon as well anyway hayden do you, do you smell that smell that something burning <laughs> oh it looks like the commander cookout section is back let's head over to the grill it's never burning while i'm on the grill brendan it's always perfect it's not a i'm not running a dad grill over here where it's about you know two minutes too long this is i bet you i bet you i bet you order your steak medium well you seem like that oh, kind of guy. well well done you, yeah well you done. know because you've been with me at a steak restaurant that i don't eat beef uh <laughs> But if I did, if you it, did, you'd just be like, burn it like a shoe. No, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be medium rare, definitely. Um, anyway, <laughs> come on, cookout is back this week, but I have, uh, I have annexed a question this week. So, uh, Brendan was on the Attack Action podcast this week with our good friends Taylor and Isaac, uh, the Battle Bros, the Falcon of the West, with the Falcon of the South, as it were, uh, the Prince of Precision, Isaac himself as well, recent Nationals top eighter. Um, and I know they had some some Twitter questions for you, but I think they ran out of time. So you know what, Brendan, I've uh, I've decided to steal one of these questions that I saw tweeted at them for you, Brendan, uh, because I think it's a great question. It comes from uh, Zane Johnson. Zane asks you, Brendan, how would you describe your improvement that takes place through your daily testing? Do you feel like you get incrementally better daily, or do you find small breakthroughs over time? As someone who plays far less than they want to, I'm curious how you see it. Yeah, it's interesting. So I think that what is most true is the inverse of this. I find myself getting incrementally worse if I don't play every day. So a lot of it is just maintaining. I think that it's a muscle and you got to kind of work it every day or work it as often as you can. 
and that's how you really develop, you know, your 10,000 hours and move towards being an expert at something. Do I have small breakthroughs or big breakthroughs? Um, it's definitely small breakthroughs, right? I, it's pretty uncommon that, you know, one day we're just going to be playing and then I have this epiphany and I've this incredible improvement in flesh and blood and how I just fundamentally play. That definitely is unlikely. Um, but it's more just the repetition, associating myself with good players that are highly motivated and I just kind of get better over time, I feel, without really noticing it, right? But the the main reason I do the everyday testing is to just not get worse. Um, for me, that's kind of how it works. I feel like, you know, if I don't play or if I become complacent, just take a few days off here, take a few days off there, eventually that kind of, you know, it's okay one or two times, but then it kind of snowballs into something else and you find that, you know, you're not really staying up to date and maybe getting worse at the game, so... Just mostly maintaining for me, and then I think that the people that I surround myself with allow me to make improvements even when they're not very visually apparent, I guess, or to me during the time. They're kind of just, you know, over a long period of time, I just aggregate all these improvements and I think, you know, and at the end of the tunnel become a better player. As weird as that description was, I hope it made sense. (laughs) Well... I don't know if Zane listens to the pod, and Zane, I know if you if you do, this question wasn't for me, but I'm going to jump in here. He I think definitely I'm a- does, by the way. <laughs> I, wa- I saw I saw a uh, I saw he commented on your thing on Twitter because you're like, yeah, I might have to use this for the Commander Cookette section. He re- his reply was, "Fire up the grill." Oh, okay, <laughs> I think okay. He listens, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it came from the Arsenal Pass Twitter. Thanks too. Thanks to Chase, but yeah, I I'm a bit different to Brendan. I think that. If I don't play for a while, I can probably maintain my level of play. But flesh and blood is quite an interesting thing where a lot of you... So you can have base levels of skill, I think, in terms of your your ability to play certain things. And and good players can often pick up decks and sort of run them, you know, 70-80% proficiently cold uh, because they just have an understanding of the game, uh, how patterns happen, how to, you know, use and, and swing and create tempo. But then outside of that, a lot of... Uh, especially in the current class constructor format, I think there's a lot of intricacies with decks in this format. Um, and I think that's going to continue. It was maybe less so in previous formats, but there's a lot of edges to be gained in the way that you you exploit and use play patterns, um, the game plans that you enact. And so I think if you're not actually testing these or practicing or, or as you know, Brendan said, getting repetitions in with these, I think what you'll find is that sometimes you'll pick up these decks and you won't get the success that you might find um, as a as a good player or as a as whatever player the level you're at um had you been putting in some reps so i think there's a piece around like core fundamentals and how that your game improves there and then there's also this piece around just knowledge of the format knowledge of how to play decks um and that's a piece where i think that personally for me like the the practice and the the testing side really pays dividends the most is that i understand those play patterns and those decks it's the same with limited actually as well like i think i have core fundamentals but the more i sort of get in drafts or get in sealed and play games uh, the more sort of things i'll pick up from that format and then i kind of tuck those away and then they're always kind of with me um but then the fundamental side i think that definitely comes through you know practice and, and testing but a big one for me actually is that that comes through playing events uh because i think that's where and this is probably to my detriment but often playing in events i just am I can tune into that. I find it maybe sometimes harder to tune into to practice and to testing as well as I do an event. And I find that if I play, say, the calling, you know, a few weeks ago, for me that probably gives me as much as a week or two of testing in terms of my fundamentals uh, because I'm I tend to be playing a lot tighter. Uh, I'm really considering my plays after the matches as well and just thinking about about like how I could have 
play those better in testing i'm often trying to get data so i'm less focused on that so i did just want to talk about that so i think it's a little bit different for me um, and then in terms of like small versus big breakthroughs i think big breakthroughs come in terms of like testing information so sometimes we'll have like these breakthroughs that come through of like oh someone worked this thing out or we tested this and now we realize that this is how you should play the matchup and that's quite a big breakthrough whereas the smaller breakthroughs i think uh for me like the fundamentals just getting a little bit tighter each time um finding lines of play that maybe i have known about but wasn't practicing and, and couldn't execute very well on so like i mean a good one could be like um pitch stacking right the more i do that i think the better i get at it uh so yeah i think is it's a bit of a it's a complicated topic i think in terms of like how you get better at the game because then there's a few different um areas of the game that you can improve in absolutely it's interesting to hear that because you know um i agree as well i mean yeah, high level events definitely push you to really focus on getting better where you, i guess it's almost impossible to avoid some of the complacency that happens in testing mm -hmm. where like you lose and you maybe don't reflect on it as much as if you were kind of in the finals and very attached to winning, <laughs> you know, a big match where you like, you look back and you analyze every little play where in testing sometimes it's just like, all right, next game, <laughs> you know, take the notes next game, which is, I mean, I think it's natural that probably everyone does that, but all right, Hayden, let's, uh, let's talk about equipment. Yeah. Let's move into the main topic of the pod this week. Brendan uh, talked about it and then didn't expand on it because he didn't want a long, lengthy intro. And then he made one anyway <laughs> <laughs> at the top of the show about the importance of equipment and flesh and blood. So this really will serve, I think, as a foundational piece. And I guess I'm going to call it the Arsenal Pass Armory, uh, you know, of, of our equipment pod. We're going to take a bit of a journey through what makes equipment, I guess, special, why it's important um, to play the right pieces and why it can be detrimental to play the incorrect ones. How to choose the best pieces to play and how to you know get the leverage and um basically a bit more about just i think understanding equipment and flesh and blood because i think for often it's, a, it's something that we take for granted like we, we start with equipment and that is part of the game and it is and that's one of the reasons why it's so important is that it's a big design philosophy of, of flesh and blood is this you know you start full and you you come down from there whereas a lot of other games you know you build up your resources Whereas in flesh and blood you know you're walking into battle you've got your equipment you've got your weapon uh, you've got your deck ready to go, right? And as the game goes, that gets depleted. You know, you start running through your threats. You start defending with your equipment or using them, and then you start to run out. So that is a big point about what makes Flesh and Blood unique. And it's a big piece of the design philosophy as well. And I think that's really important to keep in mind when we talk about equipment, right, Brendan? Because if you, if I think if you isolate equipment by itself, uh, that can often get you into trouble where you just think about equipment in isolation. And equipment really isn't isolated when it comes to playing Flesh and Blood, right? Oh, definitely not. Um, but I don't think that anything is isolated in flesh and blood, right? <laughs> so equipment, equipment obeys that rule as well. I mean, equipment is interesting because, um, like you said, it can just fundamentally change the way that you play the game. We see a lot of core pieces, like something like mask of momentum. Um, you know, the, a lot of the ninja decks are, I would say <laughs> virtually all the ninja decks are built around actually utilizing that piece of equipment. Um, while some classes do have, you know, ones that play lesser roles, um, it's just interesting to see how the strategies can warp around just one piece of armor, but that's the power of a persistent board state that sticks around through the entire game, or as long as you let it stick around. Exactly, which I think is... So you talk about like things not being in isolation in Flesh and Blood, and I agree, you know, the synergistic nature of the game, the modal uh, function of cards in the game. I guess the one thing that's so unique with equipment is that you start with it in play. So you always have that opportunity to leverage that equipment from turn zero, turn one, uh, through you know for as long as you have it uh, or as long as the game goes depending on what equipment it is i think that's an important piece of 
I guess trying to understand equipment is like what is your equipment's role um it's you know like you said before it can supplement your game plan so you know it could be to like a, a mask of momentum which could radically if you have a mask of momentum versus if you don't have mask of momentum in your ninja deck that radically changes what your game plan is and also it's going to change how your opponent plays but you know it could be defensive it could be a one-time use you know you've got things like snapdragon scalers you know pretty iconic at this point a one-time use thing and it's about finding the right time in the game to use that piece um whereas it could be a bit more like i guess um build around esque you know like uh, a skeleta right bloodsheath skeleta when's the right time to yeah. use this it's also one time use yeah yeah one time use so. but very fundamental to playing so snapdragon scalers is probably going to be in a lot of cases a lot more opportunistic and just gets used on the the, the correct turn or a turn where you can get a bit of incremental damage or it uh, allows you to play a snatch on the end of a chain or something because you give another attack go again Whereas something like a Bloodsheath Skeleta, right? You're probably building towards that. You're probably looking for some sort of like specific turn um, where, you know, you get an attack action and a non-attack action. Or even if you talk about like Courage of Blade Hold, right? You're looking for probably a bit more of a specific setup turn with that uh, in regard. And, and that might not always be the case. It might just be the best turn you can find. Um, but in, I think in varying cases, it's about understanding that. Whether you're just kind of using this piece of equipment because, you know, it's good and you want to get some extra advantage out of it. Maybe like a like Goliath Gauntlet, you know, I just want to get the two damage out of it somewhere. Uh, or it could be like, no, actually, this Goliath Gauntlet is here to pair with my Command and Conquer so that I can push my Command and Conquer to a break point that requires, you know, more than two cards to defend it out. Yeah, or it can just be defensive, right? So like Arcanine Skullcap obviously has um, another, you know, words printed on it to interact with Arcane Damage, but a lot of times it's not used for that at all, right? The Arcane Barrier 3. And there's also things like Chrono Dichotomy, which has Arcane Barrier 1 on it, but, you know, you're playing it in Runeblade, you often, depending on which Runeblade deck you're playing, you may never actually be using the ability that's printed on it. So it's, you know, there is armor that you play that is there purely for the defensive value. Yeah, and I, I want to talk more about just how you leverage that, like how you, first of all, you find out, like, what is the role uh, of your equipment i think that's massive how you want to use it how you game plan around it there's so many considerations i think when you look at a piece of equipment um and on the surface level it's like well a lot of the time we take for granted what equipment decks should play and i actually think it's something that i know we've talked about now testing a lot recently is like we just often say like oh well, you know you play the standard brendan's favorite you know you play the standard or whatever it is for this deck but sometimes you know if the game plan starts to shift um and blitz is a really good example of this where you have access to more equipment that's basically your sideboard right that you know you need to be more strategic about where you use your equipment and i think this for me this happened during the blitz season playing briar um i mean i didn't it's not like i played briar i played briar for two weeks but building the deck and putting it together you know it was like how do i best use my equipment to help facilitate matchups that are difficult for me or change the game plan of the deck um and that's where like playing spell void 4 came from it was like okay there's access to this equipment it has a really specific role that I want to assign uh, in my deck, and then that kind of just came about, where it's like, okay, shock charmers, spell fray cloak, spell fray boots, um, and a null and hit going, for instance, because that's a plan. So, equipment has this like role, and I think often we just kind of take it for granted, or it's just kind of assumed that these are the equipment pieces you play. Um, and I want to dive into that, but first, Brendan, I want to talk about the, just the history of equipment because I think it's really fascinating. And if you are a player who is newer to the game, whenever you're listening to this, whether it be you know you've jumped in at Tales of Aria monarch even or maybe you got in at crucible or you know you're getting in post ever fest and, and other sets as they come out um equipment has really changed it's never been yeah. one-dimensional i mean you just have so many choices nowadays and almost everything actually is like has 
um, some sort of additional text on it that you're using. I mean, if we go back to the, you said like the history, go back to Welcome to Wraith and even Arcane Rising to an extent, we were still playing iron, like iron rot armor. Um, and it, I know it sounds bad, but like it was pretty good back then, right? That stopping a breakpoint um, or something of that nature. But, you know, back then, the most popular equipment, still one of the most popular today, was definitely Fiendal Spring Tunic. There was a lot of decks, you know, that would utilize things like um, Hard and Cross Trap as well as a sort of derivative from that. And every, every class really had their key piece of equipment back in Welcome to Wraith as well, right? You had... Uh, Brute with the Scabskin Leathers, Ninja with the Mask Momentum, Warrior with Brave Forge Bracers, and of course Guardian with Tectonic Plating. I think Tectonic Plating was probably the the most underwhelming one just because it took up the same slot as the Tunic, which almost everybody was universally playing in that format. But like I said, the rest the rest of your slots outside your Legendary and outside the Tunic were sometimes slightly underwhelming. Obviously we still had Snapdragon Scalers, but a lot of times you would see Iron Rot on those other slots. Yep. And I think great point. The power of those legendary equipments that really was, I think, LSS um, signaling how important equipment is in the base set. So, welcome to Wraith. You have his introduction to the game, and like you say, most of the equipment slots pretty underwhelming. Um, you have iron rots. You have really, I guess, single use equipment for the most part, right? So you have these either iron rot one time defense. You have um, Goliath Gauntlet one time power pump, chest piece one time. You know. Um, resource uh and then hope merchants hood for instance you know this one time sort of manipulation of um of the hand and the deck and those i think are actually really fundamental if you look at them now thinking back to them they really pointed to what we were going to get for the rest of flesh and blood as that started to develop the the idea of what those pieces did um you know you look at okay feet are about you know action points and um speed of attack and things like that the the chess piece is really around resources etc headpiece around manipulation and card draw and um and we, so we started to see that. But then the equi- the legendary equipment outside of those just common pieces really, really core to a lot of the strategy that those decks implemented. And I think that was LSS saying, okay, here's the legendary equipment. We're telling you how important equipment is because ma- you can see what Mask Momentum does and you can see how you build game plans around that. And that is what our equipment in this game is about. It's about it's about being one and uh, the same with the deck. It's about the synergy of how it works with the deck. You know, these equipment aren't just on the side and they do, you know, imagine if you... You had the first Welcome to Wraith set come out, and you just have the common and the what it was just common equipment at the time, no rare equipment. Um, sorry, no majestic equipment, and it's just Iron Rot plus um, I don't know maybe a Snapdragon Scales. You'd probably look at your equipment in, in isolation a lot and be like, yeah, this is just to the side. This is something that sometimes I get to defend with this when I need it, or I get this extra action point at one time time when I need it. But when you see the legendary equipment. You go, you look at it and you go, oh, I can build a deck around this. I can build a strategy around what this card does. I'm not saying I have to. I don't have to do that, but I can. Aiden, that's actually so funny that you mentioned um, kind of the breakdown of the boots and the chest and the head because I have never thought about it that way. Oh, really? And I'm glad we did it. absolutely true because like, it's just blowing my mind as I'm thinking through everything. I'm like, wow, every chest piece is about resource generation. That's crazy um yeah yeah it's really interesting i just like i guess in the peripheral i just never noticed that as a as a core design but it's absolutely true and i guess i guess uh arms are kind of around like some sort of damage manipulation whether it's a bonus or you know adding some kind of damage um i think that you know, i'm looking at cut of frost here which i don't think really aligns with that but it does it looks like the it's, it it's about it's about resource it's about resource manipulation yeah. and that way it's in resource taxing right so it's just it's slightly mm-hmm. different to something like a hope mentions hood but it's on the flip side so I might just recap that before we kind of do it because I think it's really interesting and I'm glad you yeah. want to dive into it. But so just to recap, 
that the i guess the design we've seen in flesh and blood so far and it really feels like this is the design philosophy um and it's not going to change Head pieces is about card and deck manipulation so you see card draw effects there you see um if any effects that have to interact with like your deck so you've got like um skull horn and and uh, brute for instance then at the chess piece you've got resource uh related pieces and manipulation so the tunic you've got tectonic plating you've got the um card and cross straps or the brute one uh the bark bone strapping for instance at a class level and then yeah legs is about the speed of play so actions you've got snapdragon scales you've got scabskin leathers you've got the the spellbone creepers for instance these are all around that sort of piece um, mage master boots right and then at the arm piece like you say yeah it's, it tends to be about like manipulating either like the combat chain the attacks so you've got uh braces of belief you've got goliath gauntlets but then we also have outside of those four pieces and kind of the philosophy of what those pieces could do then you just have defensive items as well so you have the iron rot you have the iron hide um, and then you have the null rune of course as well um, so all of those slots have a defensive piece for arcane and physical damage yeah that's just it's so cool to see that because like <laughs> i just had never noticed that and it's so apparent um i wonder if anybody at home was kind of in that boat with me but it's it's so blatantly obvious once you look at it but uh yeah i mean that that definitely that's very in line with Legend Story Studios. Everything's kind of built for scale and built on sort of an equation. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you're finding this out. I like I, I like that we're hearing this live, Brendan, finding this out. So um, I'm sure there's some some listeners who maybe didn't know that as well and are, and are learning about that. So yeah, it's great. And then you look at I guess just talking about the history of the equipment. So we started with Welcome to Wraith, like we say, those those legendaries that really signposted what a class could do, how you could build around equipments. Plus, you know, just really solid defensive pieces with iron rot uh, and then plus a slot a generic slot for each that could do something a bit different you know that showed those those principles off and then we move into arcane rising and you get an extension of this right you get things that are a little bit more complicated so you get a bit of a step up you get the mage master boots for instance there's a bit a few more steps in between right but potentially has maybe higher power um you get the braces of belief you know it's a bit more around build around this time it's not just like okay i crack my goliath gauntlets on any old thing that costs two or more and i get the buff now it's like well, I really want to see a red card on top of my deck to get the most out of this. So how do I manipulate my deck maybe to to do that? And you had opt cards, right? So you saw again, even at common, the equipment really start to play in with the, the cards in the set. Um, and then legendaries, of course, continue on the same way. You get one for yeah. each of the classes. Um, I guess the the one that people might say, how does that kind of work is like the, the Grasp of the Arknight, you know, where it's a defensive piece and makes uh, rune chance. That one's kind of interesting in the scope, the scope of like, what the i guess the design philosophy is um but the rest kind of seem to fit in pretty well yeah i was thinking about grasp of the arknight as well um i guess because you know adding an additional rune champ it's damage some sort of dam- damage yeah. manipulation but um it's interesting in 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 um rune blade because it's resource reduction a lot of the time it is. as well <laughs> yeah. kind of does two things at once so so i guess the mold for arcane rising really follows the mold for welcome to race mm-hmm. in terms of equipment you know, you get a, a, there's a bit more happening. You start to interact, you know, Alice is saying, hey, look, you, you really can build around these and there's some things happening um, with the cards in the set. Like we talked about, opt and braces of belief. Um, and that is that is important to know. Um, and then, of course, we get Nullrun. You know, we get that added piece that comes on top of, you know, not having arcane damage before and now having arcane damage. And then we move into Crucible, right? And then this is where, like, Very things good. get crazy. <laughs> wild yeah crucible and everfest i'll just call it right now everfest as well which is not sure, out at yeah. the time of this recording but the same same kind of thing this is really they really give us the tools and the toolbox to let us have fun because this is where you see kind of these pieces of armor that just allow you to 
do so much more with your class. Like if we think back to um, Kano or Wizard, right? Metacarpus nodes. Mm-hmm. It's just an unbelievable card for like this this boosting of damage, right? Like you know, allows things like Aether Flare, Forked, uh, you know, Forked Lightning. All these cards to really realize their, their full potential. Um, and we saw this with a lot of pieces as well, right, Hayden? So like Courage of Bladehold. Bludgey just an Skeleta. incredibly integral piece. Yep. I mean, Bludgey Escalita. Yeah, I mean, that one just being kind of the core armor piece of a lot of Runeblade strategies at this point. Yep. It, allowed a lot of de- it allowed a lot of classes to kind of develop new archetypes as well. Like, um, speaking of Bludgey Escalita, like that birthed new Runeblade archetypes. Like this OTK or this combo version is really comes out of Escalata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you even some of the lesser played pieces and lesser known at this point, Viziatronic, right? that allowed uh, this boost sort of build of, of dash to really flourish. You get this like one turn big setup, right? Where you get to choose the cards you put back and boost and then draw. Um, it was really important. Skullhorn for, maybe Skullhorn's been the least sort of explored, but Skullhorn for Brute. In terms yeah, of that. It's got, the, it's got the barrier on it though. It does. Which is pretty important. Pretty important, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and Gambler- everybody's favorite, by the way, too. Before you mentioned Gambler's Ghost, which okay. I know, I mean, now that's a good, that's a good game theory one, but everybody's favorite. And I'm actually kind of disappointed you forgot to mention it. Perch Grapplers. Well, in addition for all ah. of our Ranger players, even our resident three-month in-the-tank Ranger champion, Hayden Dale, Perch Grapplers. Well, you, that's, what, that's what started your journey, wasn't it? Perch Grapplers came out, you're like, I got to play those bad boys. Um, I think Remorseless came out. But, <laughs> but you're also forgetting Breeze Rider Boots. So... And the ninjas dirty as well but th- those were you know those are good examples of one-time use pieces that can really like all of these those pieces are one-time use but alice was saying hey look we showed you in arcane rising that you know you have a your deck can really interact with your equipment you know i will use the brave forge um the sorry braces of belief example again but now look at this now you you can build game plans around this and you can set them up and just get huge value out of your equipment these are these are definitely no longer siloed pieces off to the side on the left hand side of your play area uh, or right hand side if you're left-handed i guess if you want to line it up that way um but these are really important and really you need to consider these in the way that you design decks and the way that you play your game plans out so uh, yeah from i do f- every class i do think that equipment has the biggest impact on the game right that's why when we see these supplemental sets they change the sort of meta of classic constructed so drastically like when Crucible of War or something like Everfest comes out, is really when we see the biggest changing of the guard in terms of, you know, not maybe the top deck, but the evolution of archetypes in a certain class. Like the diversity of that expands quite a bit because a single piece of armor, because it's a, a persistent board state, can fundamentally allow for an entirely new archetype to exist. By the way, just quick history lesson as well. So I did interrupt you, Hayden, before you talked about Gambler's Clothes, which is a very <laughs> interesting card. I know that LSS did have to clarify that you could not pop gambler's gloves on the um, the roll to see who goes first or <laughs> yeah. you know, who gets to choose. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not it's not currently in the game, so you know. Yeah, but, of course. I mean, of course. But I know that, like, you know, for a while there in Crystal, people are like, hmm, "Okay, pop my gambler's gloves, re-roll." Yeah, it's like if you've ever played um, if you've ever played Magic, uh, you like uh, powder keg was called. Yeah. I guess what was, no, I don't know. There's there's a card in Magic that like allowed you to like basically mulligan at the start of the game, and there's a whole lot of shenanigans. But anyway, aside from that, <laughs> the the equipment is 
by the time we get to crucible it's becoming apparent just how crucial equipment is and you made a good point about how it warps or not warps changes the way that decks are designed the meta even and do you know what i think we would have seen bigger meta shifts with crucible of war when that first came out but the game was still small and it really took a lot of time for some of those equipment to uh, be realized you know scalata very a lot of hype when it was you know spoiled and came out but we didn't really see much Viserai at the time. Um, and then we start to see you know, Scalata really come into its own in like the first Blitz season with the OTK deck and then now into Class Constructed at the time of recording. So yeah, and it, it tells you a lot about what a, a deck is trying to do. So if you sit down across from a Viserai and they flip a Tunic versus they flip Scalata, two very different things are going to happen in those games, very likely, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, So to that point about what it means for the way that decks are designed and played out, it's 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 huge. It's the same with like Courage of Bladehold. If they flip that over versus if they flip Tunic, it's probably yeah. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah, it tells you a lot about you know the potential one cost events reactions they might have in their deck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for me, this is the most exciting part of Flesh and Blood is when we get this large influx of new armor because that I feel like that's the when the developers are telling us a, a story of how we can potentially play this game. They give us the tools and then we're able to kind of expand on what we know and build like fundamentally new archetypes and new decks. Definitely use it as a. I love the idea, like telling a story because that's literally what it is. But you think, um, okay, if I'm trying to build a strategy, right, and I have I have a card in my deck and I need three three cards to like pull together. So I want, maybe I'm playing Dorinthia, right? And it's like, okay, I really want to like set up Iron Song Determination, Steel Blade Supremacy turns with like a singing Steel Blade. Like this is the devastation. Like this turn is just going to be phenomenal. Well, what if I could just have one of those cards in play already? Like what if I have one of those effects on an equipment? And that's that's literally what you what you get. I mean, not that example specifically, but you know, let's say, okay, um, I want to have this like ninja combo deck um, but I need like a time snap potion in order to give my attack go again. Well, actually, I have Breeze Rider boots um, and I can just set it up that way. So you have these or it's like perch grapplers for Ranger or, or whatever. Um, or I don't need two E potions in play because I have Bloodsheath, Skelada or I have the Courage of Bladehold um, that does that job for me. So the equipment is like you can come up with these really grand designs and these ideas for decks and then you just get to have that equipment in play. You get to have that piece of um your like your your strategy or your combo whatever you want to call it depending on what you're building there in play for the whole game you get to always have that available to you and i think that is just one of the one of the coolest things about what we saw with crucible and and prior to that you know the there were ongoing effects so mask momentum tectonic plating brave forge braces scab skin leathers those are ongoing effects and then crucible was like no no hold on here's his one-time effects his build around effects at majestic yeah absolutely what if I could lock you in for a quick speculation, this is meant to be future-proof, but I just want to get it for now, Hayden. What do you think that the armor suite that we get in Everfest will be? Will it be a sort of one-time effect kind of thing, or are we going to take it into a different design space? Such a good question. I think we see something different. I don't think we see just functional, I guess, or very similar things to Crucible. Um, we could because you have you know, you know, have a lot of new classes and heroes since Crucible came out, but... I think probably what we see is something different again, which is um, is exciting. Whether that's like not straight one-time use, maybe it's like multiple. You know, we saw temper right come in instead of blade break. Uh, we saw two-time uses of defensive equipment. Do we see that with effects? You know, could there be a keyword that allows you to use a certain effect so many times? Like it starts the game with charge counters or something, and then loses them, and you get to use something twice or whatever it might be. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that. To be honest, something that's it's a departure from what we've seen so far. It's somewhere between 
a consistent effect like a scab skin leathers or a tectonic plating and between a one-off effect like a, a Scalata or a, um, a Breeze Rider Boots. Yeah, I've designed this card. It's going to be a gloves, or it's actually going to be a hood. And it's going to be called Hayden's Remorse. It's going to be one action point, shuffle your opponent's deck. <laughs> I'm glad you know which slot to put it in. Because you were going to try I and did. put it in the arm I slot, it wouldn't have worked. But if we didn't have that discussion earlier, you wouldn't have known what slot to put it in. So there we go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, if you could mock up some art for me and send that across, um, that'd be great. Anyway, <laughs> so we get Crucible, and then things like slow down a little bit. We get some more templated equipment for our new heroes in Monarch and Tales of Aria that are that are similar to what we've seen previously. Um, you know, we see some consi- we go back to some consistent consistent con- sorry consistent effects with our legendaries, right? So you think about Phantasmal Footsteps or uh, Crown of Seeds cards like cards like these, right? We we get back to some more consistent pieces, uh, Vestige of Soul. So. It's probably, you could say, just going back to your question before, once we get to Everfest, that maybe we could have more one-time effects, more build-around effects that are sort of a punch as opposed to sort of small jabs. Because that's what we kind of have with these consistent equipment, right? It's just like small jabs, they help out your turns um, as you go through a game. And then these majestic equipment that we got with Crucible are just like these haymakers. Um, so, yeah, we could see that. So And then we get Spell Void, uh, which is a, another keyword that comes in. Um, just yeah, to- which is really interesting, actually, because it, it, when it came out, it really felt like it was there for the limited format. It was because Runeblade was in the set. Yep. Um, and that, that seemed like its only use case, but we've seen Spellvoid utilized in constructed formats. And uh, a little man I know in Australia in, named Hayden Dale was actually running full Spellvoid in their Briar list. But it's interesting to to watch it expand to that, right? Like you're playing you're playing cards that we would have actually thought never would have been played outside of draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funny story. I actually had to open some um, pre-con decks to find those spell free items. <laughs> you have to, yeah. That's the only place you can get them, right? Yeah, yeah, because they're not actually yeah. in the set. So no, and then you saw spell void on legendary as well in the form of shock charmers. So yeah, really interesting the way that equipment is developed. And then you just kind of go, okay, what's next? Like we had we had a very I guess a bit more template with Tales of Ara in terms of those equipment, some of the, the keywords we'd all seen previously, right? Um, but maybe maybe things change, or maybe Everfest is like a realization of some of these, but on the majestic equipment. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what what um what happens. So I guess that's kind of the history of equipment, and it gives us a bit of a platform to discuss some of the importance or or some of the ways to really leverage equipment. Um, and I think we're talking about obviously constructed mostly we'll talk we'll touch a little bit on limited um but in class constructed i wanted to ask you this question first brendan is like why why are legendaries so impactful to the way that we build and construct decks and strategies currently do you think that's something that's always going to be the case um i know we've talked about this before we can play there's always budget options there to to use but do you think this is something that it's, it's just because of the design philosophy of the game that you just are never going to be able to get away from how important legendary equipments are? Well, I don't think it has much to do with legendaries. Like, yeah, legend, like it is easy to look at Mask Moments and be like, yeah, all the ninja decks are kind of built around utilizing this card, or at least most of them are. But then a lot of decks are utilized, are built around utilizing like Snapdragon Scalers at a pretty key time. Um, so it's an interesting idea. I think that the reason why these things are so important is yeah, I mean, most of it is their rarity, I guess, or some of it is their rarity. If you look at the common equipment, a lot of the legendary equipment does kind of eclipse some of the common stuff. But the main reason that it's so important is because it's equipment, because it's a persistent board state. 
Like if it was just an individual card in your deck, it, it doesn't even come close to the relevance of it being on the board. 100% of the time, you know, it starts on the board and then you're always going to have, you know, that, that card available to use in every single yeah. game. So effectively zero variance on it. Um, do I think we'll move away from it? I do think so. We have seen some very good common pieces of equipment come in and be able to sub out some of those legendary pieces um, already, right? Like the the most famous case and the earliest case actually is playing Heart and Crush up instead of Fiendal Spring Tunic, which a lot of the times, and especially in Blitz, was actually the correct decision. But even in Welcome to Wraith, um, you would see people play the Heart and Crush up over the uh, over the Tunic. Yeah, or the previous format, which is a really quick, aggressive format, um, like Ninja Dex, for yep. instance, playing the Heart and Cross Trap. So that leads me to another question I have for you, Brendan. Are commons and rare equipment underplayed in Classic Constructed or in Blitz even? Yeah, definitely. I think less so now. People are starting to realize that the cards are, you know, that the rarity is a little bit less important. That, you know, things like Heart and Cross Up, which I'm kind of going to keep calling on, are very good. Um, but I definitely think that fundamentally they probably are underplayed. It's just the easiest use case for me to call back to is Fiendal Spring Tunic, right? That card was criminally overplayed. Well, it's... Uh, its derivatives that invest of the first fist and heart and crash heart and cross up were uh, extremely underappreciated in previous formats but we saw the realization of those cards in faster formats like monarch like you like you said yeah i i think there's a few pieces that have been underplayed and i think it's because it's um we just go back to this well you play this and this is why you play it and because you have these strong options rather than and this is something i want to touch on is that equipment is really about trying to find the right piece for the right time in the right matchups and i want to use an example and that is iron rock gauntlet so there's a lot of uh classes that don't have access to defensive equipment in the arm slot right mm-hmm. um you know they don't have a grasp of the arc knight they don't have a brave forge braces they don't have this way to you know have basically three defense two and then one and there's matchups where you you may want that defensive piece, um, and so Iron Rock Gauntlet could actually be a really important piece of equipment for you. But often it kind of just gets overlooked because, well, it's not as powerful as maybe like a, a class specific one. Uh, maybe I could try and do some of the Shock Charmers in a Lightning deck, or maybe I could, uh, you know, try and I could play Goliath Gauntlets or Gambler's Gloves in a Brute deck, and I could use those two to try and push some damage. But if you think about, I guess, the, the, the way you design a deck or the way you play your game plans, uh, if you're playing, you know, to maybe stop a deck that has breakpoints or things like that, a piece of Iron Rock, Iron Rock Gauntlet could be, like, just worth the whole card. Because if you, say you have, um, say you have a deck that's attacking you with on-hit effects and you're playing sort of a semi-defensive strategy or you know you need to defend some points in the game and you're playing a Brute. So a card plus an Iron Rock could stop something like a Snatch or a Meet and Greet or these cards that have, you know, breakpoints. Uh, important breakpoints as opposed to maybe something like a gambler's gloves or a goliath gauntlet yeah goliath gauntlet can create breakpoints um, but you don't have many on-hit effects outside of say like a command and conquer and a brute deck so why not use the opportunity to potentially play something like an iron rock gauntlet uh, and i think that's something that's really underexplored and that's just one example brute uh, you could use mechanologist as another example that just doesn't really ever get used or, or talked about i think um and that's that's just one piece i think hope merchant's hood is another piece that you could talk about and use some examples of why it's underplayed and how it hasn't been explored uh it's use cases and it probably isn't for every matchup but there's probably matchups where maybe you want something like a hope merchant's hood uh or uh you know the vest of the first fist like you talked about all these equipment yeah. still, you know we've seen maybe like mage master boots see some play which is great but yeah there's some pieces of common equipment that they're probably more specific, I would say, the common equipment outside of something like a Snapdragon Scalers. A lot of the common equipment are a bit more situational, um, but they're still still really strong and still can do a job 
uh, I think we just haven't haven't really got to that point in our design and piece as a community of flesh and blood yet. Yeah, I mean, if we call it Runeblade specifically, like Aether Ironweave is definitely an option over Bloodshoe yeah. Scalata in a lot of um, in a lot of strategies. I mean, like the reason why it's been not played as much is because we were in a chain format when it was new and most relevant and you know obviously we had husk back then which kind of <laughs> trumped that one because husk is husk is an incredible piece of equipment <laughs> yep great example yeah there's there's decks that are playing common equipment still in one to two slots i use ninja right uh, snapdragon scalers and um the breaking scales two pieces of common equipment there uh, and sometimes even playing hard and cross traps you get like three pieces of common slash rare equipment which is, is great to see uh but i think there's other decks that could potentially be doing that and that's why i always say People say, oh, you know, if you don't have the legendaries, you can't play these decks. You can't, you know, they're just unplayable. I don't think it's true. Um, it really depends on the strategy and it varies by hero and class. And yet for some, it's going to drastically change the strategy. And you can't just uh, say, maybe take a Mask of Momentum and replace it with like a Hope Merchant's Hood and try and play the same plan. That's not going to work, right? Because the Mask of Momentum is really key to a plan that a lot of ninjas want to play. But for instance, you know, like, okay, I don't have Grasp of the Arknight. Uh, can I pl still play a, a similar strategy? Yeah, probably. Um, so it really just just depends on what you're trying to do so i do think the common and rare equipment are kind of underexplored and often just sat to the side when they come out um i've even seen you know some decks play like a piece of like old time decks play a piece of like iron hide uh, which i think is quite cool so you know in the leg slot because you you have those extra resources on a turn right potentially so that's really really cool you crown of seeds you uh, rampart and then at some key point in the game you iron rock uh sorry iron hide boots with your extra resource so yeah there's just things that i think we've we've kind of underexplored so far Anyway. I think uh, we all know my opinion on being competitive with uh, with budget budget equipment. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I wanted to ask you what you think. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how to build around equipment and how to choose equipment because uh, I think it's really important to like just the fundamentals of equipment. But first of all, I want to ask you, Brennan, what do you think are some of the most important or like what's in your eyes the best equipment so 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 far that we've had or the most like successful equipment so far? Yeah, so it's number one for me is going to probably be Arcanine Skullcap to start, just because blocking has been, blocking and breakpoints have just been very relevant in these um, previous formats. And also, situational um, Arcane Barrier has been important as well, because we've seen a lot of Rune Blades. Mm -hmm. So Arcanine Skullcap has been a very dominating piece. Yep. I think I, think I would have three, to be honest, for me. Um, one of them is common, Snapdragon Scales. I think that's been yep. one of the most impactful cards we've seen in the game, be it in constructed, a class constructed or in blitz. And then it would just be it'd be the core pieces so far. And I think this speaks to the power of these generics in Arcanine Skullcap and Fiendel Spring Tunic. But I would say that's more around the success side. Those we've seen those cards in successful decks. I don't actually necessarily think that means that they are the best. Um if I was to talk about some of what I think is personally the best, uh, then it would be, you know, Scavskin Leathers. Mask Momentum, and probably Ticklock Foundry Heart, I think are, in my eyes, like three of the best equipments. And those are, those are class-specific equipments, but they are really, I'm glad they're class-specific because they're really, really powerful uh, pieces of equipment. Yeah, that's interesting. There, are, there is some really powerful ones, right? Like Carrying Husk comes to my mind. And so Skullbone Cross Rep is, is very good in yeah. as well. <laughs> like really, really good, even though people kind of dog on that class. Uh, definitely not me, by the way. <laughs> but they, they, like Skullbone... Crosswrap like in a vacuum. That card is very, very powerful. Um, it's just, nuts. just unfortunate, you know, that maybe you've got New Horizon now and we can't utilize because that was one of the things I was most excited about with 
a new ranger was like maybe this finally going to be able to like utilize the power of skullbone crossrat but um no we get new horizon and it's sort of different game plan with lexi uh but yeah it's it's an interesting one i want to talk about building around equipment so if you're if you're building a deck or you're building out a strategy how are you thinking about implementing your equipment like are you brendan are you coming up with like a strategy first and then you're grabbing your equipment and saying like this is how it fits in or are you identifying that as you go so i kind of know that i want to be an aggro deck um, and i'm really keen on like on hit effects so i want some equipment that are going to help me either cause on hit effects maybe mask momentum or i'm thinking about cards that are going to help get me past those breakpoints. so it's like free resources it's um, goliath gauntlets and stuff like this like how would you approach that when you're when you're deck building yeah it's funny because the answer is definitely both right like there's a lot of decks that are built around their kind of marquee uh equipment pieces um but you also add in additional pieces as you sort of define your archetype right like you might be a ninja deck and you're like okay i'm on snapdragon scalers but maybe i'm switching over to bracers of belief right like i want the plus damage i go to scroll on cross wrap um instead of the fiendal spring tunic just because i know that my turns aren't going to go so long so i've built a deck you know and then recalibrated and changed my armor to suit my strategy better but then i've also built decks entirely based off the equipment right so like bloodshe scalata is a great one to call to there of course mask momentum like we've said um and you know things like phantasmal footsteps as well and the most important one here probably <laughs> the most marquee equipment i think that is built around is probably new horizon um because i mean that just that fundamentally changes like one of the most what was one of the most stable things of this game which was the arsenal slot and allows you to have two yep yeah i know i completely agree i think for me it's um it's questioning so i do the same thing i will build up i'll do it so like a bottom-up build and i'll do a, a, a top-down build depending on like what it is what class it is so you know sometimes it's like no i know that i want to build around this piece of equipment it's a really integral part of my strategy other times it's like no i'm building a deck that's has a really core goal and that's really revolved around the cards in the deck so like i used an example of an aggressive deck before but it could be something like a, a control deck with like a lot of defense reactions maybe and then i'm trying to build i guess you know back from what equipment are going to help me execute on that plan so in the defensive position it's like okay well like you know i want the highest defense possible in in, in the deck so it's like playing you know skull cap i might even be playing a piece of iron rot i'm looking for the class equipment that has two to three defense um, i'm looking for these things but then the next thing I'm doing when it comes to the, the role of my equipment is like, then I'm really, I'm always going to question it. It's like, okay, this is my strategy. As we test and the deck starts to evolve, it's like, are these pieces of equipment, could these be something else? So a good example was like during the season with, with Chain, continue being like, ah, do, do we actually really want Aether Ironweave in this matchup? And for a while, we just had Aether Ironweave in the deck. And then just going, actually, this is taking up a card slot. And currently the way people are playing, it's not relevant gonna cut this uh because we you know we're starting to scrutinize our pieces of equipment um, yeah, or it was based off the opposite side where it's like oh, i get command and conquered every freaking game because it's the most popular card in the format and it's like exactly. that's really devastating to get hit by that so like why don't i just have a free get out of jail card like free a get out of jail free card in the form of carrion husk so yeah i mean aether iron reef is sick and your deck is trying to go very fast but you want to be able to not interact with what your opponent's doing. And if you can just sort of time walk them with the carrion husk, it's like you actually end up doing more damage and being more aggressive because of that, because you don't have to defend. So it's an interesting little balance there. Definitely. And then it's like, so perfect lead into matchup uh, dependency, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the core of my game plan really wants to play these certain four equipment, but you know, I am, how am I going to deal with arcane? 
Am I going to deal with that in the form of Spell Void? Am I going to deal with that in the form of Arcane Barrier? How do I want to deal with it? And it's not just, again, it's not in isolation. It's not like, well, I'm worried about Kano. I just chuck in Null Rune 3 or 4. Can my deck actually pay for that? Do I have the resources available? Like, how many blues am I playing? I'm playing 14 blues. Well, Null Rune 3 isn't a very good way to attack that. So why would I need these three pieces of equipment that aren't actually going to help me in that game? They're taking up slots. It could be something else. I can't actually, I'm just looking at it in isolation. But maybe Spell Void could be could be good for my deck because uh, I'm low on resource counts. Or, you know, I play mm-hmm. uh, Fold and then I play two Arcane Barrier and I can set up a good turn. Or what, you know, there's, there's lots of different variations you could oh, have yeah, on, on how sure. to do it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even like, you know, like we talked about a bit, matchup dependent. So I'm, I'm a direct, or deck dependent as well. As I sideboard in cards to my deck, I'm going to change up my armor as a result of that. So I'm playing Dorinthia. I expect my matches to go longer. So I'm going to actually get most likely more value out of the tunic rather than courage of braidhold i'm not depending on that for a sort of combo also in these longer matches i've maybe subbed in my steel blade shunts so that one resource on my opponent's turn without having to pitch a card is very very good now so you know it's it's all kind of interrelated but that is sort of (laughs) it's a common theme in flesh and blood is nothing lives in total isolation everything is kind of codependent but um yeah i mean there's so many factors you bring into it right yeah yeah so I think it's good kind of to wrap that up and move on but it, it is it's like okay what's your game plan how are you sideboarding can your deck actually use these equipment functionally and how you want to use them um are you going bottom up or top down with your equipment and then also scrutinizing your equipment like are these really the pieces that i should be playing um you know often i think i at times i go like okay i have tunic i've taken it for granted i play tunic with a few matches this happens to be a lot in blitz and i go oh, i just wish this was a vest of the first fist or i wish this was a hardened cross strap because uh, this tunic is just doing nothing for me uh, in this in these matchups, so it's just scrutinizing exactly what that's doing. Sometimes I only get one resource out of tunic. So like Kano is a good example. I think the one resource of tunic is like so 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 vital that I want that tunic over anything else. Um, yep. Not that you have any options yeah. anyway, but but you know, but well, the one defensive value is also important. I mean, some people play Rover Rapture, which you know, most of the time I disagree with. It's usually for the null rune, but. Uh, I think that the people that play that robe actually underappreciate how important one resource is in Kano, and it's incredibly important. Sure. Well, this is a good example on the flip side of that, right? Maybe now Briar starts to creep up in the format, and actually maybe Robo Rapture is the correct one to play against Briar because you don't ever get to a resource on that tunic, right? So maybe actually, you know, I I go second, and on my turn I just pop Robo Rapture, and I just, you know, Kano off the top, or, you know, like a Talismanic Lens, and I have this this action point. Uh, sorry, these um three resources, and I'm coming off the top of the deck anyway, so I don't need the action point. So like, there's there's different reasons I think to play equipment and just continually questioning like that. that like, that's something that I've questioned in the past few weeks. Is like, actually, do I just want River Rapture against Briar? Like, is that is that is that better? Um, so I think that's just one of the best ways to yeah to get the most out of your equipment is to really question like, is this the correct decision? Am I just taking for granted that I play Skullcap in every deck I build and I always play Tunic and et cetera, et cetera? hundred percent agree. So we want to close it out. I want to talk a little bit about some of the other just format specific sort of considerations. So in Blitz, obviously your sideboard is basically your equipment. And I think this is, first of all, I think this is one of the best things that Alexis have done for introducing how important equipment is to the game and getting people thinking about that. I think this has helped people question when and why to use equipment. I know like a good example of this is like Kano just always played Ar- um, Arcanite Skullcap. And then after Blitz, people realized how strong Lens was, right? And so people start playing Lens mm-hmm. and Constructed. Um, and you, you know, you see this with like, I guess like Scalata and Blitz was like the first place we saw Scalata and then it starts to creep over to CC. So we've seen some really cool like crossover there, but also just outside of that, 
you get 11 pieces for your weapons and your equipment and this is this is really important in blitz like your equipment and how you're going to change your game plan because your game plan is going to be pretty set like you maybe you play in slightly different ways and you use your cards in slightly different ways but you can't change the cards in your deck so that 40 is set but you know you can change your equipment okay i'm playing chain and then some matchups like i know i want the husk some matchups maybe i want the eighth iron wave some matchups i want the ebon fold because i want to just be like super aggressive and like play my deck that way other decks i want to play defensively against and i'm i'm playing like the all block equipment so that's how you can change your deck up right and i think it's important to consider when you're building out your your slots for blitz it's like what are each of the pieces doing and how am i going to change my game plan um with the cards in my deck and it actually goes back to your deck building as well it goes kind of both ways right you start to think about all the pieces of equipment that you have for blitz and then it's like okay well if i'm going to play maybe an aggressive plan in one matchup and a defensive plan in another matchup are some of these cards in my deck in my 40 not pulling the weight and do i need to replace these with maybe some more modal cards so that they work in both plans as opposed to only working in one so just that unison sort of again the deck talking to the equipment is really important yeah i think you summed it up very well but um in blitz it really is where you get to be creative with your equipment right because you're not directly trading it out for card slots like you are in class constructed um so we see a lot of variations and a lot of matchup specific uh equipment setups yeah the opportunity cost is um is less right because you're not yeah, sacrificing deal, right yeah <laughs> it's What's just that? Well, at, because this, yeah, because we're at eleven on the slot right now. I mean, in the future, it'll probably be um, interesting as you kind of think about all the different pieces that you could include. But right now, it's like, yeah, it's you're not taking the opportunity cost of having more cards in your deck or something like that. You just right, have eleven slots. Right, it's, but it's, it'll be different in the future, right? Because it'll be the mm-hmm. opportunity cost of other equipment. Whereas comparing yeah. Blitz to Class Constructed, it's like in Class Constructed, it's like, okay, well, I can't put these three favor scenes in for this matchup because I want this ebon fold for one matchup or i want this hope merchant's hood for one matchup or whatever it is so whereas in blitz it's like well i have these slots like where are my slots best used like these are basically my cyborg cards so yeah it's really interesting because we're talking about equipment i think one thing i wanted to touch on because this is a question that comes up a lot and is something that i've sort of debate is in limited when do you draft equipment and why do you draft every time it's so good it's just a persistent board state effect like obviously not all equipment is created equal but i mean usually the equipment pieces are very good but even if they're not it's just a piece of your deck that you're guaranteed to see like you don't have to draw it right like it's going to be there you know if you're not able to get through your entire deck um 100 like zero variance like you're going to be able to play it and sometimes it will have like a persistent effect on the actual board the entire game right if you think about something like i know this one is a, is a legendary but tectonic plating you can utilize that many times like masculine momentum can be utilized many times throughout the thing and there's there's a lot of other examples but even these ones that are kind of one pops they're so 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 good especially i mean coming out of the tales of aria format that was definitely a format where equipment was extremely uh extremely first pickable right because it was the only thing that it was con- i think it was the only thing that didn't commit you to anything right yeah apart well, from the entwined, kind of committed you the entwined yeah. cards but yeah and some yeah, some entwined. some are um talent specific but yeah so this is a one the importance of equipment there's one really good example i like to use when people say like why would i draft equipment high and limited why is it important it's not a card in my deck here's a good example i like to use let's take goliath gauntlets so you have a goliath gauntlet it's your only piece of equipment your opponent has no pieces of equipment you have you know two damage sitting on the board already before the game even starts you're effectively your opponent is starting it you wouldn't say they're effectively starting it two less but you have two damage right there which is 
you know, that's a, it's not a small amount of, of their life total, right? So you get to already come into play with that, which is, which is huge. It's, you know, it's 10% of their life total. Like it's not nothing. And I think it's a, a good example of why equipment is so important. If you, it's not about why take equipment high. It's about like, if you have a good set of equipment, what advantage are you getting to that? Or if you don't, what disadvantage are you at? And constructed, right? You, everyone shows up with equipment. You have four slots that's, that's given, but in limited it's not. So if you don't have equipment and your opponent does, you're at a disadvantage. If you do have equipment and your opponent doesn't, you're, you know, you're an advantage, but it comes down to what's the opportunity cost of these. So if I'm taking an early piece of equipment, maybe it's a, uh, maybe it is a Goliath Gauntlets. Uh, what am I missing out on? If I'm first picking it over, a, you know, a generic card, like a snatch that might have like a really high cost to it, right? Because a card like snatch could go in any deck. It's, it's very powerful. It's very versatile. Whereas if I'm taking or a scarf or a scarf, for instance, is maybe even a better example and welcome to race. But if I'm taking that over, maybe, uh, I don't know, a red or yellow smash instinct at pack one, pick one, the, the cost is lower because that smash instinct is not guaranteed to make it into whatever deck I play. Um, and maybe it's not as, as fundamental a card and the equipment is just going to be better value for me in the game. Yeah. I think if the, the counter argument was it's not a card in my deck, I would, I would love for like a lot of the cards to not be in my deck and just to be persistent on the board. That would be ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't get much better like than just having it just always there, right? It's almost like having another card in your hand mm-hmm. um, that just says does plus two damage or does this effect. So yeah. it's huge. Yeah, and they can also give you effects that your deck wouldn't be able to provide. Like a Snapdragon Scalers can provide a piece of, you know, an extra action point at some point in the game that you just could push you over the, the you know, the top. Um, that your deck that you might have to draft like a, I don't know, like a time stamp potion you have to find these cards that have go again whereas you just have snapdragon scales a great example of this is deep blue deep blue in this current tales of aria draft deep blue. <laughs> is, Sorry, it's just the best card ever printed <laughs> it's a card that allows you to do so many things it, it smooths out inconsistencies you know invariants when you draw all red hands uh, it allows you to pump some really really powerful hands because you get extra resources it allows you to, like tuck cards to the bottom to save for later like worst case um, this this piece of equipment goes into every deck and it does something on the board that can always be beneficial, almost always be beneficial. So it's, um, except when you're trying to swing a turn, Titan's Fist, I guess. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's such a good example of why equipment are important. And sometimes they, they are underrated, right? Because it's like, yeah, but this, like, I have this attack action I could take. But the I guess the value of that card not being in your hand is the thing that people should always come back to that card is you know that piece of equipment isn't in your hand that cracker jacks isn't sat in your hand it's sat on the board as a persistent effect um that can always be used persistent effects are not common in flesh and blood yeah sorry and not since, but you take, and, <laughs> no but like that's no i'm saying it's like equipment so like something that persists in on the board state and just starts there in the game um is not very common right you have a dash or in you know if we're not talking about doesn't start in the not at the start of the game, right? But just persistent board states in general. Like you think about something like mechanologists to work extremely hard to get that out, right? Like has to work extremely hard for the induction chambers or the plasma purifiers or even some of the other miscellaneous items. This just starts. There's no cost, right? The cost is that you can't have more of them. You can only have four. You can only have the slots that are in your armor. It's very, very good. Um, and in limited, it can give you a massive edge. Yep. It's like why uh, Winter's Whale is like so strong in this format, right? Because it's it has a persistent, you know, it's a it's a piece of it's a weapon that's an upgrade on the current weapon, and you get to leverage that multiple times in a game. So the, the incremental value is huge. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I did want to talk a bit about what do we see for the future of equipment inflation, but but I think we kind of talked about that when we talked about Everfest and what we could see. Um, so unless you have kind of any last sort of 
philosophical thoughts about equipment and flesh and blood and what you expect to see in the future i think we'll we'll kind of wrap up our our equipment and the importance of equipment and flesh and blood pod i'm just interested to hear everybody else's speculation shoot us a mm. comment below what you expect to see in everfest it's huge right uh, if we see something similar to crucible where we get you know, a large amount of new equipment it's going to f- change the game massively for years to come right like we saw some of this crucible equipment not be utilized for quite a while um specifically bloodsheath Skelata. but what is the next stage of equipment what is the next batch that we're going to get i'm going to go out on a limb and say that i actually think we're getting legendary weapons <laughs> which we did talk about at the very beginning of the pod but i'm i'm going to go out there and that's going to be my call for the next set is that we actually get legendary weapons all right you heard but, it here first <laughs> yeah you heard it here first I like your predictions, Brennan. So that's going to wrap up our The Importance of Equipment and Flesh and Blood pod. I think this is going to serve as a pretty fundamental piece in the Arsenal Pass uh, pod repertoire. just want to say before we go, thank you to all of our listeners, all of our viewers on YouTube. If you do like us, as we said, drop us a like, drop us a subscribe, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or any podcast services that you do use. It helps us get out there to, to more people um, as we, we push. And we want to grow this game that we love. Um, and so we think that we can we can help do that did also want to say we are on twitter uh brendan is at uh, brendan apg and i am at uh fian dale that's fian underscore dale come and you know drop us a line drop us a question for the commander cookout uh we love interacting on twitter so also just thank you to our patrons uh we are so grateful for your support it allows us to continue to keep doing the work that we're doing putting putting out this content um on youtube our extra content extra deck guides etc and it's allowed us also to to bring on some support to the team as well in the form of editors and and community managers so thank you so much but until next time uh we'll uh we'll speak in the next episode